Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hey Hore, welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast Sunny Side Up. We're really happy to have you here today. How are you? Thanks Paroma. Excited to be here. I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. And it would be great if you can begin by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got your current role as a senior growth marketing manager at Chidu Crowd. Sure. So I'm currently on the demand gen team and specifically focus on the growth marketing side at G2, like you mentioned. And what that means is kind of oversee our paid email campaigns, basically anything that has to do with generating new business for the company. And I actually came from the B2C world. I was previously at a company called Reverb, which is a marketplace for musicians. And it's been really fun to take my knowledge of the B2C space and try to apply it to the B2B world. I think there are a lot of similarities. And as buyers, B2B software buyers specifically become more advanced and knowledgeable, the lines have blurred between the two. So it's been really fun to apply lessons from both and trying to figure out what the similarities are. And I've, I've loved it. I've been here for the past year and it's been fun to be along on this wild ride. Great. We'll get to some of the overlaps that you see between B2C. First, tell us what a typical day at work is like for you. As I mentioned, a lot of what we do is focusing on uh, lead generation. So that takes the form of paid campaigns, ABM campaigns, email, basically any channel where our potential buyers are, we are doing our best to try to proactively reach out to them. So day to day, that could be writing copy for an email, overseeing creation of new ad creatives for our paid channels on LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, wherever it may be. Also keeping an eye on our conversion numbers, so on our landing pages, on our conversational landing pages, just making sure that directionally everything is working the way it should be working and our metrics are where they should be and kind of on target for what our goals are. So day-to-day changes, but it touches a little bit of everything, I would say. So as a growth marketing manager, especially, you're dealing with a lot of other B2B marketers and uh, several tech marketing teams. What are some of the biggest challenges you're seeing people in similar roles face today, especially in startups and mid-sized companies? Yeah, I think with things moving so fast on the smaller side, so at startups specifically, uh, communication is probably the fundamental issue that people have. And I definitely felt this when I first came into my role. I hear all the time from other marketers, specifically demand gen marketers, that they have difficulty communicating with their sales teams. And some of these struggles that people have where, for example, a sales team will come to their demand gen lead and say, hey, what's happening with these leads? I'm not understanding where these are coming from. I don't have the context for what this prospect is, what I should be speaking to them about. And those kind of relationships are are just so fundamental. What I've tried to prioritize and what I've seen other people in similar roles use as a strategy for being successful is just communicating with their sales team, making sure that they're aligned with their BDRs, with their account executives, really whoever they're passing off their MQLs or their leads or wherever that handoff happens between marketing and sales, there has to be the communication and the the knowledge and trust between the two teams that everybody's doing what they say they're going to do and kind of holding up their end of the bargain. So communication mm-hmm. is key. Absolutely. So could you tell us about some of the top customer acquisition strategies you focus on to achieve your goals and what are the trends you're seeing in the industry today? Some of the main acquisition strategies for us, I would say we're kind of in an interesting space where we have a lot of existing B2B software on our review side, so on the marketplace for reviews. So we we have a good understanding of who's out there, what those companies look like, 
but for us, it's really a question of figuring out. So at the account level and like focusing on like our account based marketing strategy, like how we can actually start to build out profiles for the enterprise companies that are potential very large customers for us and identifying like how we can actually go after them, figure out which personas are the most appropriate to target and actually put together a plan for getting in front of them. So some of the best mm -hmm. campaigns that we've run are kind of tied around that idea of account-based strategy and figuring out how to most effectively speak to them. So one example is we've created a series of videos for specific accounts. So in your case, if we were going after demand matrix, we would sit down and say, okay, who at demand matrix is in which role? So in your case, we would say, all right, we know Paroma is head of content. So she's interested in how to increase her content distribution network, how to pipe in compelling reasons for why people would use demand matrix, maybe some customer case studies mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And we've created these videos that highlight how our customers can use our content specifically to improve their business. And we've seen amazing results by taking this account-based strategy and doing the work to actually create these custom videos. I will say it takes, mm -hmm. it takes time, it takes research. You have to sit down with your sales team, but we've seen the results pay off and we'll continue to, to invest in that. I would say that's probably, that also ties into kind of what I'm seeing in the tech industry, the B2B marketing tech industry. So people are becoming more knowledgeable about where companies are doing their research. One of the stats that I love is most of the buyer's journey, I think it's about 70 to 80% is actually happening outside of your site. So by the time somebody's come to your website, they've already done their research. They know who your competitors are. They know how you stack up against everyone else. And it's really important to kind of understand where they're coming from and who you're up against. So that's where tools like any tool that provides buyer intent data. So we provide buyer intent data. There are other tools out there, but anything that kind of gives you that insight into who those people are that are actually in market right now helps us as marketing people be more efficient, spend our ad dollars more wisely when we're actually trying to acquire these customers and just generally be more contextually aware of where people are in their buying stage and what they might be most interested in. So I think data is becoming huge. It's helping us do our jobs better. And I think the companies that will win will just use that data more efficiently and have it tie into more of their campaigns to be just better marketers all around. That's a great answer because we were, you know, the next question was about the entire marketing industry shifting towards an entire data-driven trend. And B2B marketing has been talking about this over the last couple of years. And I'm sure your ABM campaigns are fueled heavily by data. And you spoke about intent data, buying intent, knowing which, which account is in market at a particular point of time in the year or quarter. And, you know, these kind of buying intent signals are very crucial today and they are growing in demand. So what are some of the top ways in which you use data and what other kinds of data and insights do you use to drive ROI from your own campaigns? Yeah, diving into the buyer intent side a little bit more. We will take our buyer intent data and we'll actually, so we'll pipe that into a lot of our paid strategy. So we'll prioritize people that are actually in market and spend more money going after companies that we know are actively researching solutions that are similar to ours. So you think about it, if one person isn't in market, another company is in market and is actively comparing you against your competitors, it makes more sense to spend that money on people that are aware and actually raising their, well, not necessarily raising their hand actively, but they're taking that, that actual step of researching and they're out there looking in the market. So we're taking our intent data, putting it into our acquisition campaigns, 
We're also using it in a lot of our nurture sequences. So if we're aware of a potential customer doing that research, we can proactively drop them into nurture sequences to explain some of the benefits and speak to how we stack up against our competitors. So across the board from ads, uh, nurture sequences, really any stage of like the marketing funnel, anywhere that you can introduce more knowledge about your buyer, about their company, about what matters to them. Those are the things that really help you more efficiently allocate your money, your time, and essentially just make sure that you're going after who is most likely to be a quality customer for your business. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure in the entire process, there's obviously a lot of friction between marketing and sales because that's a given in the entire industry. So can you share some of your best practices? How do you minimize this friction and how do you avoid it to ensure better ROI all the time? Yeah, so I think a big first part is just to ensure that all of your systems are actually working the way you think they should be. So sitting down with your sales team and going through the process of like actually seeing, okay, when an MQL is submitted on these landing pages, how do they get received on your end? Is it through email? Is it through chat? Is it through a task in Salesforce? Wherever it may be, just making sure that everything is actually coming through with the proper data so that your sales team can act on it in a channel that's relevant to them. All those things really matter and making sure that it fits into their workflow ensures that they can actually act on it quickly and hopefully convert that into real business after they've received it. So I think it's really just a matter of being very tight with your sales peers. So making sure that their teams have a direct line of communication to you if things go wrong, if they're noticing that certain emails or ads or customer acquisition strategies aren't actually working, you'll have that insight because they're empowered to actually bring that information back to you and give you that feedback so you can hopefully make it better. So I would say always comes back to communication, keeping that open communication with your sales peers, sales leadership, and making sure that both marketing and sales are, are doing the best that they can on their respective sides of the house. Great. So let's shift the track a little bit and talk about the role of a growth marketing manager. How do you see this evolve with time, given the dynamics in the industry currently? I think the main role in growth is just to make sure that you're testing all the time. So what worked yesterday isn't guaranteed to work tomorrow. So it's really important to do what you can to make your testing cycles as quick and efficient as possible. So what we try to do is focus on always testing something new and focusing and prioritizing on the channels and avenues that have the highest potential impact for us. So when we're evaluating whether to run a test, if we have two tests, both are an equal amount of time investment, tech investment to get them running, but one potentially impacts 20 people versus the other impacting 5,000, we're always going to prioritize against what has the highest potential just reach and ability to actually impact the business. So keeping an eye on that frequency of testing, speed and feedback loop, and making sure that you're taking in as much data as possible to actually segment appropriately, hit people on the right channels, making sure that you're contextually aware of where they are in the buying process. All of these things continuously make your growth loop faster, better, and ensure that you're kind of stacking these wins and these strategies and tactics and the whole piece and the whole puzzle kind of fits together nicely and is always growing. So I kind of think of that just like the ability to test quickly as like the main thing that I focus on. I think that's mm -hmm. where people really see dividends is if they can make that their, their priority in growth. 
Great. And before we wrap up for the day, it would be great to just dive a little bit into email marketing because it's still a popular channel for B2B marketers and you've played the role of an email marketing manager before. Any key tips you'd like to share with the audience when it comes to planning a campaign for the B2B marketing segment, be it in the use of subject lines or, you know, the frequency, any any key advice? Yeah, I think in email, a lot of the, the lessons from ABM are super important. So emails become a little bit of a crowded channel, but it's still the primary driver of business for B2C and B2B companies. What I think is the most important thing to do, stepping back before you even start building an email, is thinking about who your target person is, who your persona is, who the individual is that you're actually trying to reach, and what matters to them most. Once you understand that, Mm -hmm. it's really a matter of figuring out, okay, now that I know that, back back to your example, if Paroma is the head of content and is only interested in this piece of the business, I shouldn't be talking about everything else that we offer. That will just be noise. It'll distract her and it might lead to her just being distracted and not jumping on the phone or actually buying my product. So I'll speak to you as an individual and try my best to tailor my message so that you feel like you're heard and I'm speaking to you as an individual. So when it comes to email, don't just send catch-all like one-off emails to your entire email list. Really do the work to segment people down to as small of a group as you possibly can. Tailor your message so that you're speaking to them. Ideally, create just a single CTA. I hate emails that run on forever and have endless buttons and clicks and all these opportunities for people to get distracted. Identify that one action that you want them to take and make sure that it all aligns mm-hmm. towards that point of conversion. That's super important. And then just keeping an eye on how people are interacting. You know, if you're sending out automated emails and if if opens are super high, but nobody's clicking, like making sure that, you know, the message is aligning with your subject line, whatever you're speaking to, like try not to get too fancy. I think that's where people kind of get in over their heads. Like if you have a clear subject line, if your message is tight, if you have a nice CTA, it'll usually work. It'll fall together. And I think people kind of get into trouble when they try to try to be too fancy. So Mm -hmm. keep it simple. Email is a great channel, but if you overdo it, people will start to tune you out and then you've lost them. So do your best to kind of make sure that you know who you're talking to and what's most relevant to them. That's some great inputs there, Hori. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. Before we wrap up, finally, are there any key takeaways or few words of advice you'd like to share, especially when it comes to shortening sales cycles for B2B marketers? Then we'll wrap up and you can head on for your next meeting. Yeah, I think generally just understanding that people have much more information than they ever had before. As I mentioned before, before they've come to your product site or wherever your conversion page is or whatever you're trying to drive them to, they've already done a lot of research and they know what's out there. They know how you stack up. They know your pros and cons. So it's important for you to understand that, understand how you fit into the space and just speak to people honestly. Like as marketers, the best job we can do is be honest and help people find a solution to their needs. And if that's not us, that's fine. But try to take that approach of being aware and just putting out just more honesty and transparency and your right customers, your right buyers will come, they'll be attracted to you. And if your solution isn't the right fit, that's fine. I want to see us as marketers just doing more of that and being more transparent with what we do and what we put out into the world. So that's what I'd love to put out there. And it's been a great conversation, Paroma. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Ori. And we'll uh, we'll probably catch up again. Maybe we'll have a debate between marketing and sales and uh, who's better in the next conversation that, or something. Like it sounds that. great. Yeah. I would love that. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> great. So thanks so much. Bye, Ori. Thank you, Paroma. Bye.